God, you are the God who is not silent. And so we come to you with expectation today. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And minister to us in our need, in the power of the Spirit, as your word comes to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do uh, take your seats. Well, good morning, everybody. And as Catherine explained, we're, this morning we're beginning a new teaching series in the book of 1 Corinthians, although this morning we're also seeing how the church in Corinth began in the book of Acts. Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth is one of his most wide-ranging letters, covering lots and lots of different subjects with clarity and compassion. And as we go through, we'll see how we'll encounter the central themes of the Christian faith, the cross, church, grace, God, mission, love, hope, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the beginning and the end of the Christian life. And as we'll see, the letter itself starts with the cross and ends with the resurrection. And all of the, all of the pertinent topics that are addressed in this letter are framed by the cross and the resurrection and viewed through that lens. And as we'll discover, the whole of 1 Corinthians presents us with an original situation that actually looks strikingly like our own modern-day setting. The church in that city, in that century, was facing issues much like the ones that we face. And we'll be discovering, along with them, how what it is to be authentically church in that kind of setting and that's, that's one of the main reasons why I've chosen to preach through this letter. As one pastor in the city of London writes, I am a pastor in a large, cosmopolitan, and very diverse city. The people in my community, like the people in Corinth, worship lots of different gods and have sex with lots of different people. This letter helps me think through how to help them with specifics on practical application, sexuality, idolatry, food, divorce, remarriage, singleness, adultery, church discipline, and even incest that I would not find anywhere else. We will see that this letter is really applicable to our modern-day lives. And yet, ultimately, I want us to hear what God is saying to us through this letter. And this is ultimately why I've chosen this letter to preach through. Because it puts the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ on rich display. His mercy, his grace for messy lives and messy churches. And it offers a wonderful hope to... to Corinthians everywhere, whether in the first century or whether in the 21st century, including me, including you, including us. 
So let's find out how their story started. Please turn back to Acts chapter 18, page 114 of the Church Bibles. Acts chapter 18. And the first verse of Acts chapter 18 says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Have any of you been to visit Nottingham Castle in the last year or so? Raise your hand if you've had a visit to, to Nottingham Castle. Okay, there needs to be a few more people visiting Nottingham Castle, okay, just as a little hint. Well, we did go as a family a couple of weeks ago, and part of the revamped displays make a lot of Nottingham's reputation as a rebel city. From Robin Hood to support for the parliamentarians in the Civil War, to campaigns for working conditions in more recent centuries, to expressions in art, literature, and different campaigns. Nottingham's reputation is one of having a a rebel spirit. And different cities around the world have reputations, don't they? So Paris has a reputation for romance. Las Vegas has a reputation for gambling. Seoul, especially the Gangnam district, has a reputation for K-pop. I, I don't do all of the research for my, for my sermons myself. <laughs> People help me. I'll read that more naturally in, my, in the 11.15, okay. Uh, Shenzhen is famous for its high-tech growth. It grew from fishing villages in the 80s to, to being an economic powerhouse of millions. Windhoek in Namibia is known as being a clean city. And if you're from another city, then then you'll know what it's famous for. And these reputations can be for for good or ill, or most likely, in most cases, a mixture of both. Well, in the world of the first century, there was one city whose reputation was infamous. And it was the city of Corinth. Corinth. Roman Corinth was a large, bustling, commercial and pluralistic city in southern Greece. It was the regional capital. It was known for its port and for hosting the Isthmian Games. But more than anything else, more than anything else, Corinth was known for its sexual immorality. It was infamous for that, even even in the Greco-Roman world. It turned sexual immorality into a religion. It's hard to estimate, but there were probably somewhere between 40,000 and 60,000 people living there in Paul's day. And it was a city that was well-placed to be a center of influence for the region. It was a commercial center, and the apostle knew that if trade could radiate from, uh, from Corinth in all directions, then so could the good news about Jesus. Corinth could establish churches that would then share the gospel in surrounding areas, radiating the good news. And so can you begin to see the resonances for cities in our own world and for churches in these cities? Here in Nottingham, we're one of the top 10 UK cities. And Distribution centers for the UK abound in this area, sending goods up and down and across the the modern-day trade routes. And so, too, we can radiate the gospel from the churches of Nottingham to the surrounding area and beyond, to the wider region and beyond. And if you're at all familiar with the book of Acts, we read through how 
Paul moved purposefully from one strategic city center to the next, sharing the message of Jesus, starting churches. And when he arrived in Corinth, some encouraging things began to happen. So look with me, Acts chapter 18. He left Athens, went to Corinth, and then verse 2. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Paul's normal pattern when he entered into a city was that he began debating with his own people in the synagogue. And if they rejected the message, they, he turned more widely to the Gentiles. And he would stay in some, some cities maybe for a few days or a few weeks. But here in Corinth, he stayed for a year and a half. And the first reason for that was because of partnership. You'll see in those verses that he met a Jewish couple in the same line of business as he had, tent making. Paul had a trade to support himself as necessary. And Priscilla and Aquila were a dynamic couple who had moved their business to Corinth. You'll note that the evils of anti-Semitism were sadly present in the first century too. And this forced their move from Rome. And over the years, Priscilla and Aquila would become close friends of Paul. There'd be towers of strength for him. And in another letter, Paul describes Priscilla and Aquila in this way. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Priscilla is often mentioned first, which indicates her significance and her giftedness. And as Paul met this too and others, it initiated a deep bond which would last through many years of ministry in various different locations. And then others arrived, verse 5, bringing partnership and support. Silas and Timothy, they brought encouragements and gifts which enabled Paul to concentrate on, on teaching. So do you see how God provided fellowship and encouragement? And teams, teams are so important for us too, aren't they? We need the encouragement of others. So let me ask you, who are the Christians around you at home, in your community, in your workplace, who can you share and support, share support and fellowship with in, in, in the different spheres of your life? And who are you serving alongside here at church? You know, it really does my heart good to see people serving together on teams. One example recently is the, the new holiday lunch club uh, that's been running this year to serve meals to families in the locality. I'm not on that team, but I've just observed at a distance. It's a great example of a team pulling together in encouragement, in serving a mission. So for you, who are your Priscilla's and Aquila's? Who are your Silas's and your Timothy's? 
or to put it a different way, to whom are you a Priscilla or an Aquila? To whom can you be a Silas or a Timothy? In verse 6, we learn that Paul faced opposition from some of his own people. He shakes out his clothes, a symbolic way of breaking off relations with those who rejected his message. And then he makes the house next door the base of his operations for reaching the Gentiles. Gentiles are, are people who, who aren't Jewish. And the good news of Jesus began to bear fruit. So let's read verse 7 and verse 8. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Do you see this mixed picture? Yes, there was op opposition, but there was also a high-profile convert, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household. And many others, it says, were, were believed and were baptized. Do you see how the good news of Jesus was taking root and was bearing fruit even in a city like Corinth? Now, maybe you're here today and you know you're not, you know that you're not a Christian at present. You know you're not following Jesus, but you are intrigued by this message about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and his promise to transform lives. And maybe you have a sense that there could be a God out there. And if, if there is, then you want to know him. It might be that you're not yet ready to make that decisive step of following Jesus, but you want to find out more. You've got some questions that need answering. You want to hear more. Well, if any of that resonates with you, then we'd love to invite you to our curious course. Colin, who's one of the ministers here, will be beginning that four-session course shortly. And you can contact him or chat with at the church office or chat to folks at the Connect area if you'd like to find out more about that series and sign up for it, the curious course. And amidst all of the encouragement for Paul and for his team, as we've seen, there was also opposition, there was difficulty. And if we'd have read through the previous chapters in Acts, we'd have realized that Paul had been in, under excruciating tension for a long time. He was reeling from multiple different encounters in recent months. He'd had little time to recover. He'd had a tough missionary journey. He'd suffered a beating in Philippi, rejection in Thessalonica and Berea, and, well, indifference in Athens. He'd really been through the ringer. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3 says that when he arrived in Corinth, he said, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. And in the midst of all this, Paul fell prey to discouragement. There were some spiritual bright spots, but Paul needed a lift. He was discouraged. He needed a lift. And in the darkness, God gave him a vision to encourage him. Verse 9 and 10. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. 
Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. Teaching them the word of God. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I have lost count of the number of times that this phrase appears in the Bible over the last few years. It's come up so much. And here it is again. Do not be afraid. Hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. Do not be afraid. And it's that message from heaven that brings rejuvenation to our souls. And as our Kent Hughes observes, and maybe you resonate with this at the moment, when we feel the unrelenting presence of evil, when we sense that the forces of darkness are sending troops to defeat us, when we feel that our finest hour is about to give way to our lowest, there is an antidote for our hopelessness. What did God, God tell Paul? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I love the lyrics from uh, one of Phil's song, songs. For our fraught and anxious realm, for the fears that overwhelm, we have a throne. And in this vision, Paul was given purpose. Keep on speaking, don't be silent. Keep ministering, Paul. Settle down, get on with it. He was given presence, for I am with you. I'm at work here, trust me, stick it out. He was given protection and, and no one is going to attack and harm you. He was fortified by God's presence, by his protection. And he was given a promise because I have many people in this city. And this promise lifts and energizes mission for Christ and witness anywhere in the globe, particularly in, in dangerous places. The promise that many more will become believers and show themselves to be the true people of God. And it's not just that God knows what, foreknows what, how people will respond, but that he ordains it. They are his people, his own. God told Paul that he had many people, even in a city like Corinth. And so he was, he was to stay there and his work would not be fruitless. Because even in Corinth... Even, even there, some were tired of its empty idolatry. Tired of the promises that, that dazzled briefly, but dulled quickly. And some of those people would be open to the, the news of one who would give living water to quench our thirst forever. And I sense this is true in our own city as well and in our own times. That there are those who are weary of worshipping the gods of the secular West. There are those in our city who are tired of the shame and the emptiness. 
who are jaded by the over-sexualization, who are worn out by the consumerism, those who are exhausted by our self-obsession. For our dry and listless souls and our thirst for being whole, we have a stream. And in all of this, it's God that's at work. It's him that is gathering and growing and giving and going, and we're invited to be part of it. And in John Wesley's last words before he died, the best of all is God is with us. And did you notice that Paul was given the encouragement and vision at just the point that he needed it? God gives us the grace that we need just when we need it. And maybe you're here today and you are at the end of your own resources. You're needing a lift from the Lord because you look to the future and you fear. If you're, if you're anything like, like I am, you, will, you might worry about troubles that haven't actually arrived yet. Troubles that you've not yet faced, but, but you can imagine them. Anyone else like that, or is it just me? Because I can imagine all kinds of worries and concerns myself, for my family, for Cornerstone, for our world in the days and in the decades ahead. And those fears and worries of the future can overwhelm us. The story is told of how Abraham Lincoln, uh, this was in the days before he was the US president, he, he was a lawyer. And he used to have to ride on horseback around different sessions of the court with different groups in different towns. And in their riding around on horseback in, in this circuit, they needed to cross many swollen rivers on horseback. But on one occasion... The great Fox River was still ahead of them. And the group looked at one another with worry etched on their faces. And after some difficulty crossing much smaller rivers on the route already, they looked at one another and said, if these streams give us so much trouble, how shall we get over the the great Fox River? Darkness fell. And they stopped for the night in a log tavern. And there they bumped into the Methodist presiding elder of the district who rode through the county on, on, in all kinds of weather on horseback. And, and he knew the rivers like the back of his hand. And Lincoln and his group gathered around this fount of wisdom, asked, asked the man about the present state of the Fox River and, and how to cross it safely. Oh, yes, replied the preacher. I know all about the Fox River. I've crossed it often, and I understand it well. But I have one fixed rule with regard to the Fox River. And they gathered in closer, eager to hear the secrets of crossing it safely. I have one fixed rule with regard to crossing the Fox River. I never cross the Fox River until I reach it. 
You see, God gives you the grace you need when you need it. You get the guidance from God when you need it. Not before, not necessarily in too much detail either. You see, for Paul, it was enough to know that the Lord has many people in this city and he wanted Paul to stay and work with them. So let me ask you, what are your worries and concerns? What are your future fears? Well, never cross the Fox River until you reach it. Maybe there's an area where you need guidance and fresh rejuvenation. Don't be afraid. Know God's purpose, his presence, his protection, his promises. I read this quote from Corrie Ten Boom, which might help. Worry is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Worry is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Paul stayed with them in Corinth. Note what he was doing as well in the 18 months that he was there. Pastors, we have many good things that we could be doing, but at the heart of it, it's teaching God's people the word of God. That's the priority. And after those 18 months, Paul moved on, months 18, uh, after those 18 months, Paul moved on to the next places. And the church in Corinth lived happily ever after. Or not. The church in Corinth was full of life and man, it was full of problems. And our letter of 1 Corinthians was written a few years later in, re- in response to Paul receiving a worrying letter and some concerning news from members of the church because there was chaos in the church in Corinth. And so turn, turn back to page 1143. And we'll just, I just want to say one thing from these verses this week. Highlight one thing and we'll come back to them next week. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, page 1143. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the main messages that our culture preaches to us is be who you are, be your authentic self. Well, verse two gives Christians a word of encouragement about who we truly are the authentic identity we've been given. 
to the church of God in Corinth or in Nottingham. We belong to God. We're his, and so he cares for us. To those sanctified, sanctified means set apart, made holy, sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, called to live out who we've already been declared to be, to be distinctive. You know, the most striking thing about the church in Corinth, as we'll find out, was the degree to which worldly ideas and practices were accepted in the congregation. The boundaries between the church and the city, the world, were almost disappeared. Some of the churches that were started in the New Testament, they struggled with opposition and persecution in their cities. But in Corinth, it was the opposite. The church was assimilating, becoming the same as a pagan, promiscuous, competitive, and idolatrous culture. And the church was very closely overlapping with the city. And so Paul writes to them to call them back to be who they really are, a distinctive people, authentically church. Andrew Wilson again. Much of Paul's writing in this letter, whether it relates to leadership, sexuality, the nature of the church, idol food, corporate worship, or the resurrection, aims to reestablish the differences between the church and the city, between Christianity and idolatry. That's one of the main reasons why it's such a helpful text for those of us who live in the post-Christian West. The Corinthians were really in a mess. And we'll see that as we cover some difficult doctrines, as we look at some sensitive subjects, as we hear of some tender topics. The Corinthians were in a mess. And yet God loved them and poured out his grace upon them. Our sins are many, but his mercy is more. And the Apostle Paul wrote, wrote to that church and he writes to this church with tenderness and affection, with a faith in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, with the example and the grace and the hope that's in Christ and of the faithfulness of God who will complete the work that he's begun in us. And so too for us in Cornerstone, with all of our mess, for our treks through burning sands to our home in promised lands. This hope till all is done. Our God, the three in one. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Lord, in the silence we bring before you all of our own future fears. Lord, please help us to know your purpose, your presence, your protection and your promise. 
And I pray especially for all of those here this morning who simply need to hear those four words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Holy Spirit, empower us to live out whom you've called us to be. To know and to delight in your grace and your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's respond to our Lord by standing.